Bob Sawin. I'm a, a member of the Child Health Advisory Council. And with me today are several colleagues and friends uh, who uh, are also leaders in academic pediatric specialties of a variety. I have Chris Gleason, Craig Hillemeyer, Danielle Larock Arena, Arnie Strauss, Bruder Stapleton, and uh, Wesley Millicum and his team from Career Physicians. This group has had a lot of good conversation about recruitment of academic leaders and how to make academic leaders successful. And one of the areas where uh, there's a significant interface with academic leadership, uh, academic medical leadership, is the role of philanthropy. And I thought we'd come at this from a variety of perspectives. Um, but first off, I thought from the perspective of recruitment, how important is philanthropy? And I wondered if, Lee, if you could maybe lend some thoughts as to, um, in the recruitment process, how important and attractant is a, a solid philanthropy program at an institution? Thank you, Bob. Uh, philanthropy plays a critical role in just about every search we do. I think it's um, it's viewed as a as a strategic imperative. I think from a candidate perspective, but it's also viewed as um, you know on the from another perspective as a potential backstop for any shortfalls in programmatic funding that may exist within the institution. And so I think, I guess the more generous or warm a philanthropic culture is at an organization, uh, it, it definitely provides a heightened level of comfort uh, and peace from a candidate perspective as they look at opportunities. And it it's just a window into the ability to grow and to build, which is what most candidates want to do. And at least in academic pediatrics, you, you don't see a lot of growth and or building without the involvement of philanthropy. So, I mean, that's just a, a perspective. So uh, most of us come from institutions where some measure of philanthropy was, was a significant element. Are there thoughts as to which types of philanthropic funding are most important, either in the recruitment or for the success of an academic party? I mean, is it endowed chairs? Is it, is it research endowments? Is, you know, what, what, are, what are people's thoughts as to the most valuable formats uh, for philanthropy and success in an academic department? Maybe I'll jump in. Um, at a high level, it's all of the above. I think at the departmental level, and I'll cite a personal uh, experience when I joined at Sinai as division director and within a year got an endowed chair. It served several purposes, which is to say that the institution committed to me and also to the mission of general academic peace, which is in, sometimes in competition with subspecialties, et cetera. I think research is critically important, but depending on where you are, the actual growth of an institution sort of building, I mean, physical growth is that, is often complemented by a number of things. Philanthropy being one, having been in a state institution, the monies that were flowing from the state institution to support infrastructure was actually substantive. So a philanthropy complemented that. That I think is probably different in non-state institutions. So I think it's all of the above and understanding people's 
intellectual, what they bring intellectually to that um, can be an impetus for new funders. And that was my experience also, that because I came with a different mission for the organization, it actually attracted funders that had not previously, philanthropists who had not previously given. So I think it's all the above. Looking at this through a slightly different perspective, how important is the ability of a chair as a fundraiser? In other words, it's one thing to, to be an attractant to the institution, but once in the role, what are the expectations of a chair in regard or a division chief in regard to fundraising? Uh, Bruder? Thanks, Bob. I, I was thinking uh, a little bit about the original question about philanthropy in general, and then we can sure. uh, maybe say a comment about that. You know, to me, there, there are like four types of philanthropy that uh, are really helpful in recruitment. One is the endowed chair. And as, as Danielle mentioned, endowed chairs uh, indicate a commitment and a prestige of a, of, a, of a chair and give the chair a certain amount of discretionary dollars that often uh, they can use then to, to supplement and build programs. Although in a, the endowment, it can be substantial. The operating funds may be somewhat limited during that time. For division chiefs, an endowed chair is very important. Uh, because it provides what Wesley mentioned, uh, a cushion, and it also allows them to uh, develop programs for themselves, because oftentimes division chiefs are so focused on their, on their division that they, have, they don't, may not have as much funds for themselves. Philanthropy can raise gift funds, so a leader or a, a chief can build programs with those funds, as been mentioned, or, or again, support people for bridge funding for grants or, or new projects. Then their community, a foundation often has a big endowment, can make grants. And so that's the institution has a, a large research or any kind of endowment. They may have annual granting mechanisms that help a leader build their programs. And finally, uh, community philanthropy can be very helpful. I know for several uh, hematology oncology programs, they have uh, large fundraising. I know at Penn State, <laughs> they had a large, and it, it raises substantial amount of money for a specific program. And I think the most critical thing and, and part of recruitment is that uh, during recruitment, uh, I, I have found that it's very helpful to have the head of the philanthropy program or development office at the institution meet with the chair and so that a relationship builds and that the chair be very proactive in working with them, not only to support the chair or uh, leaders programs, but also to say, how can I help the philanthropic program because a general endowment often comes back and helps the department. And I think if a chair is a real partner with the development office, they they really work hard to support support that individual. Yeah, thank you, Britta. Before I go to Craig, I just wanted to ask you, do you think the uh, development officer should be a member of the search committee or be active in the search process? I personally don't believe it. It's necessary to be part of this search, but I do think that during the recruitment process, it's very helpful and maybe important to have, I've always tried to have uh, the leaders meet with uh, the development office. Craig, as a dean, you probably have a, you probably have a different perspective than you did when you were a chair. Thank you. I just wanted to pick up a little bit on uh, the Bruder's comment. And that is that the relationship that you have with the development process is probably the most important thing to a successful developmental um, stature as a chair, as a dean, or even as a division chief. And I think it's really important to emphasize 
the relationship uh, between development. I kind of, I do agree. I don't know that they should be part of the search process, but I do think that early on they need to, to be a part of it. It always struck me that a successful development effort takes a lot longer than, than you want it to. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, they tend to be very self-sustaining. Bruder mentioned the efforts that have community involvement that over time and this, uh, the effort that we had at Penn State, uh, it took basically 20 or 30 years before that thing really began to take off. So um, working with development, especially at the community level, can be very helpful, even on an individual level in terms of large philanthropic gifts. Um, it's really not so much about um, what you want to have that money for or what that, or that grant or that donation for but how you can get people to become excited. That's what they want to give the money for. And that takes a long time. And uh, working with a development officer really is very helpful in bringing that about. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Wesley? Uh, I agree with the, you know, the DO not being involved potentially in the, the actual search committee or search process. I think it puts them in a conflicted position with a lot of other endeavors and initiatives on the campus. I, I do think, though, that I have seen all with success uh, involving a donor uh, for a key program. If it's, a, for example, a chief of hematology oncology that you're recruiting and you have a named donor that's been longstanding participant with that program, I think having them involved uh, in the search process, I've seen to have really positive impact not only on the committee itself, because there's a community member sitting there with a passion for the program, but also I just think it further engages that donor and makes them feel part of it and has had long reaching effects for the newly recruited chiefs uh, in a very positive way. So I wanted to offer that. Just a note in terms of what um, for division chiefs that might or prospective division chiefs that might be thinking about the role of philanthropy, I don't think you have to have experience as a new division chief come on board fully developed in support of development. I think it is something that uh, someone can come into the job, hopefully have support from the chair and other division chiefs who's been successful and learn the process of gaining support for their di division. So I wouldn't want a candidate who's being recruited to feel that they are somewhat deficient because they don't have that experience. They will need to gain that experience. But I think it's the kind of thing in meeting with development and meeting with other division directors and knowing the institution's commitment to a process is something that can be gained during that leadership um, uh, development process. And I've seen some institutions where uh, the role of the new chief in philanthropy is actually called out as one of the job expectations. Uh, again, not anticipating that they come in fully, uh, fully honed in that skill, but uh, that once in the role, uh, that's an expectation. I wonder if any of you could comment on on your own experience with uh, learning the skills, if you will, of philanthropy. I, I, I think I've shared with Bruder the first. I was invited to a lunch when I was brand new in my role as a department chief. Our development officer, uh, before we finished salad, had asked this young couple for a million dollars, and I, I was quite taken aback, but I realized that he did it very well, and if you don't ask, you don't get it, um, and I, I marveled at that and wondered if I would ever uh, have the confidence or the skill to do that. I wonder what other people have found in their, in their experience with 
uh, learning how to be a, a good fundraiser. Chris? I would say it was definitely a learning curve, um, very steep for me. One thing that was sort of unique about my, my own situation is that, you know, at the when I was at Hopkins, which was earlier in my leadership career, that was a private institution. And then I moved to um, Seattle, where at least the university side of things was a public institution. The different approaches to philanthropy in, in the middle of it was Seattle Children's Hospital, which is a private institution affiliated with an academic institution. It just brought up to me all the different ways that development offices and officers did their work and how it changed over the decades that I was involved in this. So, so, but it was definitely a personal learning curve for me. And, and some of the things that I learned and would still say I'm, I'm still learning, um, even though I'm not in my leadership position anymore. But one thing that I sort of touched on just now was how different a hospitals or, or a, you know, children's hospital in most of our, our circumstances, but, but again, even the hospitals that are at the academic medical institutions, how their philanthropy approaches, goals, mission differs from the university, but they're after. And I was still struggling to in, in, in both cases, in both in the institution that I was at, you know, in both, you know, Johns Hopkins Hospital, Johns Hopkins University, even though they're tied together, you know, in, in name and so forth, but the philanthropic um, missions of the university, Johns Hopkins University, the medical school differed in some substantial ways from the hospital. And the same was true in Seattle, Seattle Children's Hospital and the University of Washington. Um, so navigating that and making sure that, from my perspective, as a division chief, the efforts, because it can be very time consuming, <laughs> um, as I learned, um, if you really want to do it and do it right, you've got to be out there and talking and, and you know, lunches and dinners and, and so forth. So you want to be sure that what you're doing is going to be very advantageous to your leadership position and what you hope will it'll bring to your division or department or school. So, so having said that, the other thing that I learned is that while endowed chairs, and, and I think everybody has spoken about this, you know, very helpful for recruitment. And certainly that was a very important philanthropic goal for, for both the hospitals I work with and the university to have for different, perhaps different reasons, but very important for recruitment. But what I did learn is that, is that how the endowed chair was structured, and in particular, if there was additional support wanted or actually part of the endowment, just having the endowed chair, while it might be helpful for recruitment, might not be all that helpful in the long run for the endowed chairee going forward, you know, if that wasn't somehow built into the position or at least thought of that it would be continued, not just boy, done, that's it, let's move on to the next division or department or, or whatever. Um, so I would say that that's something I learned. And I guess the last thing I would throw into the conversation is that as both a donor, <laughs> I made a philanthropic donation uh, to a university, not the ones I've been involved in, um, but, uh, but the you know great wonderful named all of that and then what after that did you get follow up if it was for a division 
you know, we're the donors or, you know, or if it was one, just one donor, do they get a, a, a division report about, you know, what's going on in, in layman's terms, you know, how is that structured? And I don't think we do a very good job in that. And I'm, and you know, in my position, I was really trying to, when donors would even a small donation in the name of their child, not just the, you know, thanks so much, you know, or whatever, um, but then keep them involved in, in what their uh, donor, what their funds help to support to advance the outcomes of pregnancy and child health. I think, Understanding the structure within a particular organization, we've talked about public institutions, etc. There are also separate foundations that are usually formed in order to take responsibility for the philanthropic efforts, um, identifying what your particular role is, either as a division chief, a chair, in my case, a president or, or a dean. Uh, what your role is in that foundation, because it's different from your role, your academic role, and how you interface with that. And it's usually contractually written of what your role is there. Understand that, understand so you don't have conflicts within that, um, I think is important. I think the other is something maybe we haven't brought out yet, which is, you know, in our prior discussions, we talked about the role of academic medical centers in uh, responding to community need. And yet we often know, and this is not a ding on philanthropy because I still think it's very much part of the public-private partnership, is that understanding the alignment of those donations to your clinical mission, your research, and your education. We want to receive those donations to build the programs that we think are important. And rare diseases and common diseases are both important but how to have some idea or some discussion of how those monies drive your overall agenda as a leader is important. And to be transparent, in, at least within your strategic thinking about that. I don't know if others wanna comment on that, but I think it is sometimes that tension of understanding where this goes and where your efforts go in terms of responding to what well, ultimate responsibility is, is to improve the health status of all children. And how do we do that in a way that our efforts support those outcomes? Yes, philanthropy is critical. Public-private partnerships are important. Understanding the structure in your particular role and the benefits and sometimes the downsides to relying a lot on philanthropy or not. And legacy giving is what Chris talked about is somebody who gets updated on that information may uh, in fact have a legacy gift for the institution because they feel that commitment of that institution to their particular child and other children similarly affected. You know there's been a lot written in the last year or so about uh, how the millennial and Gen Z uh, generations are becoming bigger and bigger players in the philanthropy world. Um, I saw recently that uh, Seventy-three percent of the donations that were made to charity during the pandemic were by millennials, but the way they give is different. And I wonder if anyone has any experience or uh, any concern about that changing landscape in the philanthropy world. Uh, the other, the other comment that's written written about is that they they tend to want to have a, a more uh, close investment. In other words, not just their money. They want to, as Chris said, they want to be involved. They want to know what's going on. They want to uh, feel like 
they've got some input to uh, how their money is being spent. Uh, any thoughts from people about that changing landscape of philanthropy? It is a challenge, Bob. I think I think you're you're right. I think it's also really important that we've mentioned that you partner carefully with the uh, development and foundation office when you're working so that they're ground rules that you respect the people who give and they understand when they give what their role can and should be. The other thing is it's really important that if somebody comes and says, I want to donate for X, that you can do X. It may seem obvious, but you know, if, if you do not have programs in that area or the capacity or a strategic imperative to move in a direction that a donor wants, to be honest with that donor, because boy, if you take someone, a large gift from someone to create a, a program in an area that ultimately you, you weren't going to do, can't do, didn't do, you've created a real, a real challenge and a, a really difficult situation. So I think that that's a one pitfall, just because someone comes and says, I, I'd like to give money for X, because that's my interest. I have a child with X and talking about how you can, a small gift that you can begin building up a, a smaller program in that area, but not, not to over uh, promise someone who gives a donation, I think is really important. No, thank you. That's an important point. It's clear to me that all of this is like so much that we do as, as leaders in academic medicine is about relationships and, and telling a good story and making a compelling case for why your program, your department, your institution needs that philanthropic support. And I, my own impression is that as clinical leaders, um, you're really essential in that process. The development office has the skills to do some of the other things we've talked about, but the clinical leaders play an essential role in that. And so even if I, as an individual, don't feel comfortable uh, asking for money, I can at least potentially create the story that'll make it a real compelling interest for the, the donor, so... I'd love to underscore that because whenever you partner, you have different skill sets from the development office and they rely on us to understand the clinical story and the importance of it. And absolutely. So I just wanted, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Well, great. I appreciate the conversation. It's obviously an important part of what we've had to do in our leadership roles. And as I mentioned, the landscape does seem to be changing. So we're all going to have to, to learn to be more flexible. But thank you, everyone, for your comments.